Hi, this is Esther, and you're listening to the Sometimes Always Book Club. We are reading Watchmen by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. With our graphic novel discussion behind us, we're moving on and discussing HBO's Watchmen series. This is episode one of three. sitting here with Bob. Hello. And Andrew. I have a new name. Please tell us about your new name. My new name, I believe, since it's just one word, is Anard. But if it makes it easier for you, we could go with a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Which from the expression on your face, I know your preference. (laughs) So please, a nerd. Yes. Tell us the history of this. It happened today. Oh. We were at Wendy's getting some food. And uh, I was checking out, ready to pay. Person at the the register was like, can I get your name, please? I said my previous name, which would be Andrew. (laughs) Formerly known (laughs) as. Formerly known as. (laughs) And uh, from that point, uh, the the transaction continued, and I saw the name flash up on screen for the order. And instead of saying Andrew, it said, as one word, A N. E R D, and at first I was confused because I was like, "How did she know?" <laughs> but then I like looked at myself and I'm like, "Okay, that's that's what? that's fair." I was just dying of laughter, <laughs> and I became hyper aware of it as soon as I like looked around and realized it wasn't just me and Bob and Zach in there. That there was like oh no four other patrons. Yeah, there was like a line behind yeah, us. Yeah, I was like, oh no. <laughs> well, welcome, a nerd. Thank you. Zach is also here with us. Are you still going by Zach? Uh, yes, I do have one message for the crowd, and that's Andrew fucks. Thank you, Zach. You're welcome. <laughs> I told you. In case anyone was curious, uh, <laughs> yes, that that has happened, and for all we know, it may continue to happen. We can swing back to that if you want, or we can dive into it, we whatever you prefer. <laughs> no, I feel, I, feel like, I feel like it's rude that I'm kind of taking up a lot of time. Why don't we continue the introductions, and maybe if it comes up. <laughs> okay. I wondered if every name was going to have a story. <laughs> and, um, I'm feeling a lot of pressure right now. <laughs> Anne is here with us, too. Is that good? You're still Anne, then, also? With no fucking E. I tried to cut it off, like, quick. Like, Anne. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, with no fucking. And just leave it at that. <laughs> Former Andrew Fox, but Anne apparently doesn't. <laughs> Andrew Fox and no. <laughs> Longest introduction ever. We've already lost half the audience. <laughs> Just like, fuck this. What is this show even about? It's only about? because people can't handle change, Bob. Ah. That's true. I and mean, we should embrace change and yeah, move forward. Andrew's a new man, came home from Texas, a new man with a new name, a new identity. I'm Andrew fully Fox. realized right now, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. Self-actualization <laughs> yeah. achieved. You two kids, and by kids, I mean of appropriate age, of can, appropriate age, can of fuck. Yeah, yeah can fuck. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. <laughs> what are we doing here again? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about the Watchmen series, remember? Not anymore. I think I, I, think I lost it all. <laughs> It's all no, gone. No, come on. It's we got to bring it full circle, guys. Come on. <laughs> Over the past couple of weeks, 
we've all watched or rewatched the series. I haven't actually rewatched every episode, but I've rewatched most of the episodes. But the first time I watched them, I think I watched them all twice. And that was fairly recently. So in 2019, HBO released Damon Lindelof's Watchmen series. It's set in the modern day of the Watchmen universe. And I, I went into the show not knowing mm-hmm. what to expect really at all. Nothing. I had seen just the promotional art of Regina King in front of a clock. That was literally all I saw going into it. Um, Sold. But when the show was promoted, they were just, they were calling it a remix. And so nobody knew, is it a remake? Is it a sequel? Is it, What is it? And as the show went on, it slowly revealed itself as a sequel. And it has a lot of parallels to the original book, a major theme running through it being race and identity, which I think is explored beautifully throughout the series. With the first episode, episode one, titled It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice, I didn't know what to expect going into that. And it immediately drops us into 1921 in the Tulsa Massacre, which is something that I was slightly aware of, but had to read more about to learn the actual story behind it. And the intro of that show, which is just, you know, you're dropped in with guns and screaming and violence and this just visceral terror I was basically crying by the end of the the intro, and the show hadn't even started yet. Really, we were it just like, punches you right in the yeah, face from I, that first second. I was at. I got home after recording one of the episodes here. I was like, I'm gonna go home and get HBO, and I was like, Sweet, I'm ready to watch this watch this TV show. Pop it out. I'm really tired. I have to go to bed early. I'm like, I'll watch one episode, and I'm like, <laughs> in this intro, is happening. Like, all right, word. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> What? <laughs> I, I just had to stop eating my pizza at a certain point. I was just like, okay, yeah, this is how this fucking show begins. Some things just feel weird. Some things are hard to just eat while you're watching. Yeah, like- that was like the, the hardest pizza I've ever had to eat. <laughs> Quote me on that. <laughs> Going into the show, I had a very limited sense of what to expect. I had heard some... And we uh, protected you from it. Yes. We oh my talk God. About it. Yeah, I was we so behind you guys. But I had also heard about some, I'm doing air quotes, criticisms of some aspects of the show where some people felt that because of the depictions of race and identity that run through the show, that it was too woke. <laughs> I, I know, because some people call it woke men. Woke yeah, men. <laughs> I saw that stuff on Twitter and I was just like, man, I got to get off Twitter. The fir- Like, oh my God. So, so in some way I was expecting, like I knew race would be part of it because of that and it didn't color my perception of what it was going to be because I didn't care about that kind of noise but um, I did know at least that subject matter would be coming up but beyond that I had no idea what to expect going in yeah I didn't either I didn't and I was totally took by surprise that they even brought race into it so heavily so fast because in the graphic novel it isn't really mentioned there aren't any main characters of color so i was like okay shit this is what we're gonna do today okay <laughs> black freighter kid is like screw you yes. <laughs> my name is Bernie. Yeah, Bernie. <laughs> i totally remembered yeah so it opens with the tulsa massacre which is brutal but also beautifully filmed i always feel really weird about that where you have these action sequences that are so brutal like you see it in certain war movies like mm-hmm. battle scenes and things they're so realistic, they're so well filmed, but they're so frightening and they're so terrible and they make you feel like you're in 
the moment. And I love the way that's filmed because it's so frantic. It's so quick. There's like this one thing that just haunts me from that, just those moments where they're running through the street. The little boy is mm-hmm. running with his parents and there, you see somebody holding what I'm pretty sure is a dead baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that just haunts me. And obviously they're actors. It's not real, but the, it's so realistic looking the way that guy is standing there holding that baby. The it thing just, about the the filming too, uh, I don't know what you call it, the cinematography of that particular thing is is how it puts you, you feel like you're the child being carried by that father so through that. Yeah. Yeah. You are completely submerged in yeah. that. There, there's that shot of like the, the dude in the KKK robe with the shotgun and as he's turning and looking, I don't know why, but that was just such a moment that always stuck in my head. Just that look of such evil intent. Like, like I'm getting my job done today and my job is... Being an awful, horrible, violent racist. Like, and, and also that that minuscule escapism where if you feel like you're that child, if that guy had looked in the other direction and seen them, they would not have escaped. Yeah. It I, was that momentary oh, where they ducked just in time. He looked the other way. Everything just lined up and they made it by. Yeah. It's, and, it's really too bad that they made like the best part of this whole show, the very first scene. And then it just like I held it to that standard and it like just did not keep with it for the most oh part. i highly disagree I, oh no i lie yeah <laughs> no, 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 no no good the good reversal there yeah Zach. No, no. i think that's always been what's cool about media like this is that you know we can all sit in movie theaters or sit on our couches watching tv and have that acknowledgement in our heads that what we're watching is totally fictional and not real but you have that like moment of your suspension of disbelief and if something is really well made you can ignore that thought and you're just totally brought in kind of like what you were saying, Esther, where you're like really put in that moment and you forget that this is not actually happening. And I, I've always really loved that aspect of either visual media or like reading stuff or video games that yeah. you have that thought pushed away of like it's fake. That and fully submersive atmosphere. That is rare. And I and I do love yeah. things like that. And there's certain it comes in weird places too, where you see something that is so well made and so complete that you have a hard time reconciling the fact that these are actors and somebody's gonna say cut and they're gonna like go to their trailer, or they're gonna go home or whatever. Eat some subway. Exactly. And that's one of those scenes where it this feels so real in the costumes and just the look of it, this the city itself. Even the very beginning with the little boy sitting in the movie theater watching the Bass Reeves movie, it just feels like a real lived-in place. It, it doesn't feel like a set ever. I, I love that part where he's watching the film. And I just, I thought it was just showing it for like historical reference. The You hear the jaunty piano. Yeah. And then you hear the piano start fucking up. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, what the, f-? it took me a second to like really realize what was happening. And then like. It kind of pans out. Oh, there's some shit happening. Uh Like, oh my God. Yeah, that beginning sequence is... Also, the movie that he's watching looks like an actual silent movie. Yeah. It doesn't look like a modern remake of a silent movie. The way the actors speak with... That overexpressive... Yeah. yeah. Point to the badge. (laughs) I I mostly have that thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not super strong in my knowledge of camera work in actual 1920s filmmaking, but I do remember kind of like a tracking shot of the horses that I kind of had that thought, oh, this feels like it was actually modernly filmed because they're like going through the woods. And I'd have to watch it again. I, there might be. I, outside of that, though, I absolutely and I think I know what you're saying with those earlier films, everything almost seemed too fast. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. things were really... But otherwise, that's just nitpicking. 
Yeah, that's fair, though. <laughs> Thanks for being our balancing here. Yes, we need that. So from this, er- oh, well, I will say the part that made me cry is, so we have this young boy who escapes from the Tulsa massacre with his parents. They put him in this box, like a trunk, I guess, mm-hmm. on the back of a car with some people. And they tell him that they're right behind him. It's heartbreaking because you know they're not. The car drives out of town with him hiding in the, the trunk in the back. And there's an explosion. And he wakes up alone in the field and everyone the driver of the car and the people who are in the car are dead and he's alone in the field until he finds a baby and picks up the baby and walks away and that was where i just completely lost it and just broke down the other part of that i loved because it was the first introduction to it is the way they did the title screens on each of these. oh my yeah, god where mm-hmm. it's like it's like the back like the yes. back of it first and then it's like and they right and it's part of the every the time we watch every time I watch oh. an episode with him he's got a he's, he has to point that out I love these title screens these it's title amazing. screens are amazing they're fucking amazing they are I the do first love thing them Sarah said to me she was like oh I fucking love that and I was like <laughs> yep I feel like the two things that we most of us can agree on is that like unimpeachably those title screens and the music. Yes. Oh, so yeah. good. Trent, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did they do the soundtrck? Yeah. yeah. No shit. Yeah. No wonder you didn't I hear it. the Nine Inch Nails yeah, undertones of like, the whole yeah, with fucking like, thing. When, yeah, like the main, like, I was just like, yeah, I'm loving this. Well, and then they did that John Carpenter kind of 80s horror movie feel when it got real intense. I love that. Oh. Yeah, I love the music for sure. But yeah, Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross did the score for that, and I thought it was perfect. Primo work. Chef Kiss. Bellissimo. <laughs> Molto bene. So for people who are familiar with the graphic novel and not so much, I think, for people who aren't, I wish I could talk to more people who aren't familiar with the graphic novel who watched the show, because as I was watching it, I was thinking, how could you, how would, how, <laughs> I just watching it, I was like, how can somebody who hasn't read the graphic novel appreciate what's even happening? But I guess suspending your disbelief is part of it. That was something I actually literally just talked about with my mom who watched the show. Mm. And she never read the, the the comic book. And I was like, what did you think? And she goes, well, I never read the book. And I was like, well, yeah. And she goes, but I fucking love the show. And I was like, why? And it was for every other reason besides the connections. And she like, she understood what was happening, but she didn't need that outside influence. Even though she'd take me to go see the fucking movie and she'd watch the movie with me. And hated, and she literally told me to my face, "God, I fucking hated that movie." I'm I am disappointed in you, Zach. <laughs> yeah, Zach, you're, no wonder your taste in films is garbage now, <laughs> fucking asshole. Yeah, but I, she was like, I loved that because, like, yeah, the connections are there, but it's such a different world. Yeah, well, I think like, that yeah. speaks to the power of Lindelof. Because if you've seen some of his other work, he does. He just creates this atmosphere, drops you in it, and it is 100% solid. You never question it. You never... Yes, I highly recommend The Leftovers if anyone has... I just started that. Oh, it's so good. What what was his other... I know he did Lost in in Leftovers. Anything else or... Uh, I was specifically speaking of leftovers. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I've only ever heard good things. I the leftovers is amazing, and I do recommend that to anybody. Also, who a wonderful novel. It. Yes, and it does give you that feeling of like just being dropped into a universe where you don't know any of the answers about what the rules mm-hmm. are, which is kind of how I felt when I read the graphic novel too. You're just kind of plopped into it, and you're like, okay, who <laughs> this are is these people? Thing. What are we doing? This is where we are now. <laughs> I think that's like my favorite version of any narrative stuff like even the witcher netflix show i had very limited understanding of like stuff going into that and i just it kind of lends an idea that the world is bigger than what this is going to show 
And that makes total sense to me because trying to think of like a way to sum up our own entire existence before like dropping in like a political thriller or something like that, like that's literally impossible to do. So, you know, you get enough to start out and then kind of branch from there. And it just gives this feeling of a fully realized lived in world that just barely scratching the surface on that just gets me intrigued to learn more. Yeah, it's like Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think Game of Thrones just kind of does that too, more so in the books than the show. But I appreciate really good world building. Mm -hmm. And I think that Alan Moore obviously laid all the groundwork for the world building in Watchmen. But this show picks up kind of in a realistic way or a believable way for me anyway. We have Vietnam as a state now. We have baby squids raining from the sky where it's just like a regular occurrence. And it's more... President Robert Redford. President Robert Redford. (laughs) As predicted by... You bastus. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> we have masked police and uh, vigilantism is still illegal. I guess our main characters, we have Angela Abar, who we're introduced to in the first episode, who is a, quote, baker. Uh, <laughs> she made those moon cakes or whatever she they did. were. Well, she's, I'm, I'm not doubting her ability. We don't know that. They were just already on the desk when we got By there. By the way. Are you calling her a fucking liar? I'm just saying. We don't she know She bought them at the grocery store. All we have evidence of is her ability to separate egg yolks and egg That's whites. Right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That is a tough that, skill. That scene, by the way, is so fucking funny. Her just like going in just like, yeah, and that's why I like, like I have a bullet in me and like these racists out here trying to kill me. I was just like. Uh-huh. And that teacher going, yeah, just like, hey, stop, stop. <laughs> They're like seven years old. Please stop. <laughs> and the kids Please are like, stop. can we just eat our cookie? <laughs> <laughs> Opening up with that uh, yolk smiley face though mm-hmm. from under yeah. the bowl is pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of cool imagery like that. I, I really appreciated a lot of that stuff. So yeah, she's a quote baker, but she's actually a uh, detective. And the detectives in this former world, detective. Well, she's a former detective who's. Still kind of a detective. Former, former detective. (laughs) So the police are all masked and they hide their identities and they hide the fact that they are police, but the, and they wear police uniforms, but the detectives get to pick cool characters to be, which is awesome. I don't know if that's exclusive. (laughs) Is it awesome? I don't know if that's exclusive to detectives though, because you got Panda and. uh... I think, I feel like Panda is in some sort of administrative exactly. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, real question do you think panda's a furry because like that looks like furry oh hell yeah, yeah I, was about to say, I he feel definitely like that. Yeah. you know i like panda but god his mask looks like shit I was just, like, panda like needs to go to the dry cleaner yeah. that's yeah. for fucking sure broken he, and dirty yeah, he looks like like his kids got a hold of it like, like <laughs> it looks like the head of like a stuffed animal that's just been forgotten forever and it's just oh, it's like sad. it dropped out of his uh his car on the way to work and yeah he drove over drive, it drive back and get it didn't yeah. have time to get a new one so yeah. he's just gonna wear this for the week and we'll see fully it. realized world <laughs> yep. what's yep. the backstory of panda's mask is it kind of like the, the 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 pink bear in toy story 3 where he gets left behind mm. yeah, I don't know. he always makes yeah. me think this is so dumb uh, this is just more nerdiness for me but there's a character or like a, a raider character in i think it's fallout 4 who wears a mascot head that's all broken yeah. like that and you can get the the thing and wear it after you defeat him Man, anyway. entertainment's getting so niche these days. <laughs> but that's that's what i think of with panda so yeah we have angela abar who is also known as sister knight who has like kind of a cool ass kicking nun costume we have detective wade tillman who is looking glass who wears a reflective mask 
He's kind of like Rorschach, but not really. I mean, I just can't, I can't believe you went with Looking Glass when he. Well, I can't believe he turned down Mirror Guy. Mirror I mean, guy. it was offered to him on a plate. How do you not go with Mirror Guy? Bob, we're jumping ahead right now. Yeah, we <laughs> haven't gotten to Mirror Guy. You're, yet. Mention, you're mentioning the names. We have Pirate Jenny, who's pretty cool. And Red Scare. Red Scare. Who... Oh my God, I love I Red love Scare. I love Red Scare so much. <laughs> At first, I was like, that was one of those moments where I felt rewarded for kind of like knowing the whole backstory of the graphic novel. At first, I was like watching it with my roommate, and he was like, Why is there just like this Russian guy in the police department? <laughs> I'm like, Well, in the book, eventually the USSR and the United States relieved tensions because of this perceived outside threat that had happened. So, in I could see later on down the road how they're like giving each other resources to help out with that stuff. So it kind of makes sense that there'd be some Russian immigrants or He's like whatever. a foreign exchange student. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they send one of our dudes over there. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't send Panda. Like, come on. <laughs> they sent dollar bills. Yes. yes. <laughs> you beat me to it. I also want to point out it's not in this episode, so spoiler, but uh, Red Scare does eat Cheetos with a fork. Oh my God. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, who are you? What planet are you on? That's some skill, though. I Are you against a... communism now because of that, Zach? Uh, well, that's for a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a, a cosplay of Red Scare where the guy had a, a little bag of Cheetos with a fork, and I thought, what a great attention to detail yeah, that is. I would have known who it, it was. for all the cosplayers out there. <laughs> it's an easy cosplay, too. You just need a tracksuit and a uh, ski and mask. A, and a dad bod. But if you don't have the Cheetos, they don't know who you are. A shitty ski mask, too. Yes. <laughs> the like, he literally just ripped the holes out himself. Yep. <laughs> doesn't fit right yeah (laughs) so we have angela and her husband cal who are friends with the chief of police judd crawford and his wife jane and they all hang out and they're all good friends and they and sometimes there's cocaine there's sometimes there's cocaine and they sing and they have a great time oklahoma (laughs) (laughs) katie did say she really appreciated black oklahoma and she would see it Absolutely. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Are you kidding me? That'd be rad as hell. It it looked great. On that note, looking at um, Angela's costume and then slight spoilers, realizing the inspiration from it later where it was a black exploitation film. Yeah. I just kind of thought that it was like, I'd love to see A, that movie, B, just the idea of something like that that's just called like solving racism with a gun like, <laughs> like that just sounds like an amazing movie of that genre and i want to pretty sure it. sam jackson made that one already oh. <laughs> yeah give it to me bob i do want to talk about the cattle ranch uh massacre scene because holy shit my mom when... was so fucking upset about those cows i was too the first time i watched it <laughs> Zach, are you going to come in here being all heartless and saying you weren't upset about these cows? Oh, I, I, did so, you laugh sadistically? Yes, yes I did. But no, it was I laughed. Just... My mom, we're sitting in the living room <laughs> is so watching good. this, and I'm like, how? That's okay. And my mom's like, what about the fucking cows? <laughs> so I had heard you guys talk about cows in a very slight capacity, like not in a spoilery way yeah. before I watched the show. So I saw these cows come up. And because you guys had expressed Your like, radar some, pinged. Some, some, <laughs> some sadness or like being upset about something, literally my first thought was like, oh my God, these Rorschach guys that hit bombs in these. <laughs> oh my God. And they're just going to be like defense system, press a button, all the cows <laughs> blow up. Dude, they fucked up so, so bad. So when that didn't happen, I was like, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> I felt so bad for the cows. 
no real cows were harmed in the making of that's this. true i'm pretty sure they <laughs> were attention to detail and realism that's has right. its price mediocre uh cgi that we were dealing with there <laughs> those cow screams were real <laughs> Those cow screams shook me deep down into my core. (laughs) So basically we get some really good world building in this episode for the most part. And we establish the character of the chief of police played by Don Johnson very well, actually. I thought so, too. Yeah, Um, I thought that it was a really good performance from him. Um, Unfortunately, he dies at the end, although I guess. Poor Judd is dead. (laughs) 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 Which was funny. But also, it kind of reminded me of the way that the uh, the chapters would end in the graphic novel, where you'd have like some relevant yeah. bit of um, either a quote or a song lyric that kind of connected to either a character or an event that happened yeah. within that chapter. Yeah, I think that the the show really had a good attention to detail when it came to how the show's format was with that. All of the titles of the episodes tie into something else, and there's a lot of music that was used mm-hmm. very effectively, you know, and symbolically. Did the Lord of the Manor show up in this episode? Yes, I was going to get to that. So I was also going to talk about Wheelchair Man, but... Well, yes, we have a very old man in this episode holding the piece of paper from the beginning that the little boy is given by his dad that says, watch over this boy. We pretty much know that this very old man in a wheelchair is the little boy from the first episode. <laughs> But who watches oh, no. over the boy watcher? <laughs> you got to watch to can find you, out, Bob. Did you no. phrase that better? Did you want to talk about wheelchair guy before we get to the Lord of the Manor? Uh, other than saying he's next to, next to Judd. Yes, he is next yeah. to him, and he's wearing um, a really snappy outfit. There was yeah, that, that fucking there was hoodie that, is awesome. There was that slight yeah. foreshadowing where Angela's going to her home base, which is disguised as like a bakery. Well, I mean, I'm sure she plans to open a real Milk bakery. and Hanoi. Perfectly named. It. No, shut up. I hate it. You're just wrong. How dare you? I'm, I'm going to take that <laughs> wow, stance Andrew now. Just every other time. Zach, you're wrong. Every other time, I'm just like, oh, that's okay. That's your interpretation. Now I'm just going to say you're wrong. <laughs> but uh, so, she, so she encounters this old man who just kind of out of the blues, like, hey, lady. Can you think I could lift 200 pounds? Mm-hmm. And then maybe he did, as we can see this yes. swinging guy in the tree. That's what Katie said in her message to me, too. She was like, he can lift 200 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, at this point, we're only assuming. Yes, we are assuming. So, yeah, he did just out of nowhere just ask her that, which is it's such a Damon Lindelof scene. There's a lot of scene, weird scenes like that in The Leftovers. Some of them pan out and some of them don't, where just somebody comes in and says some weird shit that may or may not be meaningful. And it was perfect sounds more like you're talking about twin peaks i thought that same thing while you were saying (laughs) is this meaningful so yeah we also have the subplot of a man in a country estate the lord of the manor yeah who uh the first time we see him he rides in on a white horse and then we see him naked at a typewriter with a maid massaging his legs. That's not what it looked like she was doing. She is massaging his legs i know somebody on reddit said that too she's giving him a hand job how is he focusing on his typing no she's massaging his legs and then he has dinner and this really beautiful cake, and he gets a, a watch wrapped in fur. <laughs> a really beautiful cake that he takes like you know, a one bite, a, a of. one bite of, and he's done. He doesn't look like he's enjoying it. Though. No, not at all. No. I don't think it was good. I know we're kind of waiting until like we get to certain story beats to kind of talk about them. Yeah. Uh, but would it be all right if I talked about my own thought process? While sure, watching? absolutely. So I knew some shit was up while watching this. <laughs> So, yeah, so he's having this cake presented to him, and he kind of looks 
like, oh, well, I guess I'll give this a shot. And his uh, Mr. Phillips presents him a horseshoe <laughs> to cut the kid yeah, with. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so red flag right here. No. This se- my first thought was this guy was like some either had been experimented on or was an experiment of some type because it seemed like he was 80% correct and then just had like a glitch of how do you cut cake? <laughs> Let me, here it is, a horseshoe. Oh, wait. You don't cut not... cakes with a horseshoe? Yeah, come on, Andrew. I got one in my cupboard right now. You guys actually had me thinking Sarah that I was doing it wrong. <laughs> Sarah makes, makes this great summer cake. It's yeah. like strawberry sh- and then like shortcake and then she mm-hmm. makes them and then it like turns into jelly and then we just break out the horseshoe. <laughs> chop that shit up. We can have you over and have some of that cake sometime. I'll show you my horseshoe cake chopper. <laughs> you almost that made sounds, it through that. That sounds lovely. I appreciate it's great that. I'll, I'll get some good beer. So I, my main point I want to establish is that my mind was spinning in directions of who this could be and the meanings of these, I don't want to say fake people, but like Beings. altered people, yeah. maybe, potentially. He also wears purple. Which stood out to me and, immediately. And gold. And gold. Yes, it's Rorschach. Unshakable <laughs> <laughs> on that one. Obviously. I will say I love, love, love Jeremy Irons anyway. And I really love him in this role. Oh, he was amazing. You know, it's. I'm, I'm thinking now if it was Rorschach sitting there, I can just see that sitting you know, and he takes the bite of cake. Cake's not good. We'll have to investigate later. <laughs> Maybe it's because I didn't leave them any sugar cubes. <laughs> <laughs> I think she says we made it with the honeycomb you gave us, uh-huh. which is yeah. a very strange yeah, line. I don't know what that cake was then. <laughs> it had honeycomb in it. So the title of this episode is It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice, and it refers to a line from a song called Judd. I think the song itself is called Judd is Dead from Oklahoma. Oh, so if I knew anything about the musical, I might have had yeah. suspicions of where the episode would go then. Yeah. That's but it's, really clever. That's The line is from a song from Oklahoma. Gotcha. It's actually a really weird song where a guy is basically trying to convince another guy to commit suicide, which is kind of a strange thing to be to have in a really lighthearted musical. Is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I, I saw that in your, in your outline. And I was just like. Basically, it's, he's singing to this guy who's just like a total jerk that everybody hates. He's saying, basically, everyone hates you, but if you die, if you killed yourself, then everyone would remember you as a nice guy, is essentially what he's singing. Yeah, he's cyberbullying him. Uh, in person. Hold, hold on, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta rebuttal that. Why are these old musicals just so fucked up? Like, I, I don't know if anybody else is on the same page as me, but I hate Grease, and... Uh, me too. Me too. Okay, thank you. Excuse me? Did you say you hate Grease? I did say I hate Grease. I don't like Grease either. I like how he tiptoed into that too. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm not a fan of Grease. Yeah. And to me, that's just another like thing that's a lot of the stuff depicted. And it's just really, really weird. And just... <laughs> did she put up a fight? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so did anyone read, did anyone else read the Pedipedia articles? Because I didn't have any time. Unfortunately. They, I know it's, it was extremely tedious. I did read them because I do feel that they fill in a lot of gaps and they do some really fantastic world building. I feel like if this was a book, they would be awesome interludes between the chapters. Mm-hmm. What we get with this is with the Pedipedia for this episode is just an FBI memo encouraging agents to use their new computers because technophobia is a very real thing in this world. If you notice, people have pagers and landline phones and things like that. Oh, okay. So there's no like 
iPhones. There's no internet in this world. It's all very analog. Why? Because technophobia was an issue with um, the Dr. Manhattan mm-hmm. issue. People thought that technology yeah. would give them cancer. Got with you. the exception of electric cars. Well, I think the electric cars went away and then came back. Oh, okay. Because in one of the things I read, it said something like, we're happy to have our electric cars back or something. Well, and when they were talking about the watch batteries, she said, yeah, the old kind, you know, the lithium, whatever Mm -hmm. that gave everybody, that made everybody sick. Not the new ones. I forget how it was worded, but it did specify that there was a new battery now. So there's also, I don't know if this is in the PDpedia, but I I remember um, briefly seeing a newspaper article about the uh, alleged passing of one adrian Veidt. yes that is another one in the pdpedia there's another one about bass reeves for this episode as is the uh Veidt declared dead it's an article about his life and then eventually just that he's presumed dead mm-hmm. at this point because he'd been gone for so long and then there's another thing about rorschach's hmm. journal hmm. Hmm. and how there are two versions of rorschach's journal one was a rough version one was a final version they kind of get into that in the original novel too interesting yeah because he says there's like in the jail he got he has one taken away from him but then he has another one later that he mails to the new frontiersman so anyway there's a thing about that oh uh, we also learn in the pdpedia after episode one that Lori is now a federal agent and has adopted her father's surname of blake as well as operated as a vigilante at one time known as the comedian oh man that's really funny the real knee slapper and like that in like comedian the comedian type humor it's (laughs) it's perfectly in line with that (laughs) i guess going back to rorschach i do love that what they i guess where he kind of ended up in this universe he is like the the alt-right kind of martyr symbol yeah oh he knew the truth oh like oh we we gotta pay attention to him and like and i love that they like quote like use his quote in the video, but mm-hmm. it's not the quote. Oh man, there's completely there's misinterpreted. A, and... Yeah, there's a lot of really good cornball, awful, racist uh, frog language on Twitter in this that I love that they've th- like kind of sprinkled through. That's what I was going to say like, too. Is I, I kind of like the uh, the jingoism of this world where you hear the word red for Dacians. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. that's just something that I can totally hear in our own world in terms of like taking some way to simplify something political and then just giving it this jingoistic it's really good world building too because there's a lot of connotations just attached to that word Mm -hmm. you know exactly what this person is talking about Mm -hmm. and everyone's reaction to it makes it very apparent that this is a not a good thing to say and something that only a certain type of person would say out loud excuse me boy yeah she she got mad on that that word even i know i was like why are they so mad (laughs) i love that though when when that kid said that in the class and then you know the two voice fight or whatever but on the drive home he's like well he said that and she's like you know well whatever and he's like but that makes him a racist she's like well he's not a racist but he's well on his way to being yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, yeah. giving that little bit of leeway for yeah. children is probably a good idea because we all can be impressionable when we're right yeah. but it's showing that environment he's being brought up in and, and it's just like you know it's yeah. it's so much more powerful than just coming out and saying this is what's happening but showing it through that depth and yeah. those many layers it's is... a really good example of showing not telling yes but a masterful mm-hmm. example of it and and something that when done well it puts you in the world it makes the world feel real it makes it it tells you a lot without saying much it makes you curious for more too mm-hmm. yeah I, that was yeah what are red oh. what does this mean i now after watching the show like i feel weird saying it like i'm saying like 
you know, something kind of racist that I shouldn't be saying. Like that uh-huh. thing that Andrew said that one time? Yes. <laughs> uh, can we play that back one time? Did you me? say the R word? No. Redfordations? <laughs> Redfordations. <gasps> He's so... I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> We're going to have to put you in free speech jail. You can't continue libtard. <laughs> I'm a fucking snowflake, okay? I felt bad saying that. I'll just be real. <laughs> Andrew is sensitive. He can talk big, but you know. He said I, the word and he's crying. <laughs> Esther, you just get me. I do. <laughs> so when we get into the second episode, we have another flashback where we're now in World War One with O.B. Williams, who is the little boy's dad from the first episode. And he is marching in Germany with other American soldiers and a plane drops a bunch of leaflets on them that uh, encourages them to come over and join the German side where they will be treated as equals. Specifically the uh, minorities within the uh, American army. Yes. Yes. Specifically. I'm sorry. Yes. I thought that was... Because I was talking about him. I'm sorry. Yes. Targeting the minorities within the American army that they will come over and be treated as equals if they join. Because they're in segregated units. Yes. And obviously we know that's not true. But at the time, um, maybe if you were in that situation, because in that scene, he's reading it and then he looks up at a guy and he spits at him, even though they're on the same side. And it's just a shitty. Did they ever like do more with that or was it just like. Hey, I have the pamphlet. Like, well, he had the pamphlet, and it stayed in his his uniform. And then they showed the little boy when, or Will, I should say, when he's a little boy, trying on the uniform and reading the paper. And is that what the watch over this boy was written mm-hmm. over? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. it was written on the other yeah, side yeah. of that. So you know, we see him reading that as a little boy, and then it's in the pocket of the army uniform that the dad is wearing. On the day of the Tulsa massacre, and that's the piece of paper that he takes out to write the note. So that that sentiment carries on, you know, throughout yeah. his life, and okay. it's a yeah. kind of a physical reminder of that. Yeah, so we've always it, looked after our veterans. Because it, <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't really like implant in my head when I like kind of saw that happen in the show. I was like, oh, this went nowhere. Like, what is this? But yeah, like hearing yeah. that now, it's like, oh. Like, and it also yeah. does tie into something in the novel which I'll get into later um, when we get into to who Will is and all that. I'll, it does tie into something in the novel kind of directly. Well, I should say indirectly for, you know, people who have read it a million times and are looking for all these details. Anyway. Some uh, real nerd shit. Yeah, some real nerd shit there. So in the present, I Angela. mark that. <laughs> it'll be the name of the podcast. Real nerd shit. <laughs> So in the present, Angela takes the elderly man to the bakery. Milk in Hanoi, which I think is just as clever as the Gunga Diner. (laughs) (laughs) Get fucked, Zach. So the bakery is actually her cover. I don't know if she actually does any baking there, but it really doesn't look like it. There's baking shit in there. There's no sugar. anything happened. There is no sugar. How do you know? You didn't go in those cupboards. Because Will asked her if she had sugar when he gave her coffee. Oh my God, Rorschach's alive. Season two spoilers. <laughs> he asked for sugar for his coffee and she said she didn't have any. And he says, some bakery. <laughs> Maybe she just didn't want to give him her fucking sugar. Maybe. That's true. <laughs> Maybe if you have sugar, they assume you're with Rorschach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's Rorschach reincarnated. Well, 
man, those seventh cavalry <laughs> people just ruined everything. Now you can't even. She have does. Sugar I, I will say she does have some stuff in common with Rorschach that we kind of get into as her character develops. Not. I don't mean yeah. like. I get what you're saying. Belief wise, yeah, but yeah, yeah. she does. Yeah. I think have some some things in common with him. But, um, so the old man confesses to killing Judd <clears throat> repeatedly. Like pretty much that's all he says at first when she's asking who he is. I'm the man who strung up your police chief. Yeah. <laughs> over and over and over again. So it turns out that he's her grandfather. And she's... What? I know. And she's never met him. So he's her missed, grandfather. Missed opportunity for a Maury Povich cameo. I know. That could have been so great. <laughs> and obviously he's the little boy from uh, the opening scene. And if you look in the opening scene, the dad, I don't know if they ever... Or they tell you... I don't think they tell you the mom's name. Will's mom's name, but the dad is Obi mm -hmm. Williams. So Williams is the last name. And Will kept Will for his first name and then adopts Reeves off of the Bass Reeves. Oh, the, so, the silent movie, yeah. So he becomes Will Reeves, which I think is interesting. I don't know if they ever come right out and say that, but... I think when she goes to the... Um, what's the place where you go and oh, get your the, DNA the swab? Heritage the Heritage Yeah, Center. I think when they go there at some point, they explain that. Or well, they it, say that they don't know what his name was. Yeah, and yeah. It, I don't know. I, I remember something about when she was going there that it all kind of connected the yeah. dots. So he tells Angela that Judd, the chief of police, had skeletons in his closet. And he also jokes about being Dr. Manhattan, which leads to a really clunky line that stood out to me. It obviously became important later, but where um she says really abruptly that Dr. Manhattan can't look like us immediately, which is a mm -hmm. strange thing to say. Well, that it's just is a heavy, strange thing to heavy say. Heavy-handed foreshadowing. <laughs> I mean, that's just it's not so much clunky, I think it's just you're intended to remember that later on. I guess, but it it stood out to me and imme I immediately knew that it was going to be significant and I I think that well, I guess I don't like... Not to toot my own horn. I don't... I get frustrated, I think, with writing like that sometimes because sure. I'm like, okay, this is going to be important, so I'm going to have to think about this later. Mm -hmm. See, I was just, like, totally doubting the writers. I was like, these fuckers didn't even read the book. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. There's that one transition <laughs> from, like, the wet street to the manor. Oh, yeah. That, like, I was like, oh, oh that they was fucking great. know. There's some... <laughs> like, they are out here. There are some brilliant trans yeah. transitions on this it, show. And especially coming from, like, straight up, that was the one thing i walked away from like like or like started i was like mm, all right, all right, all right, yeah there's see. some really really good ones so angela finds a kkk robe in a secret panel Ooh, dun, dun, dun. in like the, the closet, closet just like that literally in his closet like and, an idiot well in a secret <laughs> where panel. else are you gonna fucking hide your shit man how about not have that shit how about <laughs> burn it it's his legacy i yeah. say you put it on a hanger like <laughs> With a bathrobe over the top of it. <laughs> Nobody's going to find it. Yeah, and then his wife Where walks in like, oh, go man, I was really thinking about wearing my bathrobe. Like, got out the shower feeling fresh. Use that dove, you know what I mean? Maybe Come keep out, it in like a like, safety deposit box or like vaults. Yeah. yeah, go to the bank. Hey, could, uh, could you get me my racist robe bank, bank box, please? <laughs> no, you just asked to go into the vault and then wear it like a weirdo and then put it back. Yeah, and just then walk leave. around in it, you know. <laughs> Put I'm my a, grandpappy. In like a, a storage tote under the bed. Literally anywhere else. <laughs> he 
needed a, a fancy. But then, what are you going to put in that cool secret compartment? That's true. Drugs. That's where you keep oh, your toys. God. That's where cocaine. Maybe that's what be. that is. I do love that all of us had a different answer. By the way, it was like, well, what did you say? Coat drugs? Yeah. And then I said a gun. And then <laughs> a gun. Toys. Toys. <laughs> Drugs. Toys. that as you will. I'm having, people. I'm having this image of of Judd and his wife going to bed one night. Things get cotton hot and heavy, and she goes. Will you wear it for me? <laughs> Fuck you, Bob. <laughs> Fuck you. Ew. I, my brain broke. You know there's dudes out there like that, too. It's the worst thing. I love the realism in this show. <laughs> I love how we're giving fanfic in this fanfic. <laughs> so, if the, the squids falling from the sky in the first episode wasn't weird enough, this episode has a giant magnet coming down from the sky and taking a car away. I, I fucking just... loved that. I felt like that was something out of my childhood that would have been on some dumbass show in the 90s. It's I was so like, goofy. fuck yes. It almost was too much for me. It like pressed <laughs> right up against that too much, and then they pulled it back. And I was like, okay. Every okay. time weird stuff happened, I just loved this show more. <laughs> Like it, it just made me feel it connected to the uh, previous material even more because that is a really weird book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was more so the goofy lines. Sometimes somebody would have just like such an offhand comment, some kind of like goof ass thing they would say, and I'd be like, "Yeah, that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense for this." Yep. Mm-hmm. The subplot with the Lord of the Manor, I think, might, might be one of my favorite sequences in this episode, too, which is oh, the Jesus p- Christ. <laughs> the play, the play oh, about the origins of Dr. Manhattan, which is a play that I would watch the hell out of. Um, I have sadist. to just confess right now, the whole time, as soon as he came out in the blue paint, I'm like, are we going to see his dick? Oh, yeah, same. Like, literally, Sarah looks over and she's like, we see that penis? <laughs> I was like... I think we might see a it's penis. It's HBO. There. You're going to see that penis. Oh, yeah. You're going to see it. You're going to see a few. Uh, the actor playing John, unfortunately, is incinerated or yeah, during the performance. But uh, another identical man. Method acting. Descends as Dr. Manhattan with this like what is like a fencing mask. Yeah. And um, I, I do love the disturbing imagery of while he's burning, she's looking out at the Lord of the Manor and he's just going, let's see those tears. Yeah. <laughs> I just, the best part is just hearing, like, the screams in the background. It's like this, like, oh, and you're like, ah! in the background, you're like, was this the first the fuck? visual instance of, like, oh, God, there's clearly clones here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is the first time that we see, because they take, they wear hoods on their head, and then mm-hmm. they take them all off, and then they're all. The same. All people. the women are Mrs. or Miss Crookshanks, and all the men are Mr. Phillips, mm-hmm. although they go by different names. Yeah, Lucky yeah I love him. it. What's, what's your name? And he gives a name. He's like, how would you like to be the new Mr. Phillips? <laughs> there <laughs> seems to be, be a job honor. opening. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sequences in the entire series oh. is the Dr. Manhattan play. So you can imagine how my mental wheels were spinning even more into a particular direction (laughs) with the craziness of this really smart old guy and his clones. (laughs) Why don't you just say it, Andrew? We're not there yet. (laughs) We're not there yet. I wish I could because then I I wish we were doing this real time because then like moment one I could have said what I was thinking and I'm sure everyone else would have said it and then we would all have felt really smart. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I forgot. I was I was trying. I was giving letter grades to each episode. So I'm gonna go back really quick and say, for episode one, I gave it a B. Yeah, hmm. That's fair. I feel like the beginning is an A. Are you saying I, by itself or like as a like referenced against the rest of the show? 
by itself. By Each itself. episode is okay. getting its own grade gotcha. from me. If gotcha. you disagree with it, I'm open to discussion. I, I would I would pump that one up. I would Between the up. beginning and the world building, just establishing all of that, I, I think that was pretty tight. I that's, think that yeah, was... That, that's that scene other than... Office was like the best when that video plays yeah. it was just like oh shit other than those other two upcoming episodes I mean it was, it was definitely top three <laughs> of the whole I would give that one an A so this episode we just watched martial feats of Comanche horsemanship nailed it <laughs> uh, I give that I give this episode a B I give that title a C I give that title a yeah it's that's a, that's a difficult <laughs> title it references a painting by George Catlin that is actually called Comanche Feats of Martial Horsemanship. And depicts, oh, was that the painting at their yes. home? Yeah. Depicts okay. a Comanche rider dropping his body to one side of the horse while he aims an arrow at his pursuers, uh, using the horse's body as a shield. It may or may not be foreshadowing. If it were a comic book, he would have had like a, a speech bubble that's like, fuck you. <laughs> the Pedipedia. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> the Pedipedia article talks about the article about Judd Crawford being slain and his life and some stuff about American Hero Story. How he definitely wasn't a racist. Yes. <laughs> and how American Hero Story is not accurate and potentially dangerous to viewers. We do learn, though, that. Season one of American Hero Story was about Rorschach, which I wish we could have seen. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Season two obviously focuses on hooded justice, and I wish I had talked more about that in my outline. I feel like outline. that's where the more meaty stuff in terms of that fictional hooded justice uh, television series would focus on, because you got the gay sex in that. So I loved all the trigger warnings at the beginning. Yeah, it was like yeah. 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. long. <laughs> Oh, no, man. basically, no one should ever watch this show. Don't do it. It's but everybody's watching. What's the best is it's like the ultimate send up of like trash HBO shit. Where it's just like so overly horrible, violent, and sexual. Is that what and you thought? Uh, yeah. I had a thought of like the actual like American Horror Story stuff. Oh. Because I feel like that mm. stuff is more overtly just glamorizes like sexual violence and violence yeah, really? in general. So that's kind of where my thought I fe- I feel, and I could be wrong here, and I know there's a, a lot of division on the subject at least on online that some of the violent sequences are kind of a callback to Zack Snyder's direction direction style I don't know I don't know if that's intentional or not but it's not a knock I didn't interpret it as like a criticism the slow motion and then Mm -hmm. the fast motion and then like you know busting through the window and all that the way it is you know, honestly, I feel like I would watch American Hero Story. Even oh, if yeah. I knew it was garbage, I would. I think I would love it a little bit. <laughs> I, I think it is kind of like one of those comic book movies that aren't very well done. Like, the characters are interested enough that you'll watch it, but then you go away and you're like, they really fucked that shit up. <laughs> I do love how everyone on this show watches American Hero Story, from Judd's wife to... Uh, Looking Glass to um, Angela and her kids. Mm-hmm. Everyone watches American Hero Story. Isn't it wild that like superheroes were so faux pas and like so whatever like back then and now they've come back. <laughs> like we're watching this history. It's like Ooh, it's superheroes again. And like, I don't know. I just found it really ironic. That it's like, oh, they're back. They're like, oh, we love these guys again. It's like, well, see, they made it. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't know the whole version of this fictional show, but I imagine based off of the clips we got, they made it grimdark which is always good for you know bringing something back into the uh to the public eye and just giving it that gritty feel i mean just look at batman you 
Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Where is she? Where are they? <laughs> not not cornball. Like, uh, shoot, who is that? Who Val Kilmer? Where like, Harvey, I'm Batman, and he's like screaming at him. It's me, I'm Batman. I love that. Was that the opera? No, he's just literally. He's, that's how he screams. At I think him. you sound like a 1930s newscaster when you say that. And on Main Street, we had Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. I'm Bat- Batman. And I'm Batman. Back to you, Sally. <laughs> so episode three, I want to preface this real quick by saying, I know it's not the best episode of the series, but it is my personal favorite episode of the series. And that is She Was Killed by Space Junk, which is the... <gasps> The Lori episode, the introduction of Lori. It is my favorite episode of the series. I've watched this, just this episode, probably six times. I love it that much. That's fair. That's fair. I think it's fantastic. I love Jean Smart as older Lori. Mm -hmm. I love Mm -hmm. pretty much everything about her delivery and her performance. I love her. Do you think this is the logical conclusion for Lori? I didn't until I read the Pedipedia article that basically implies that she works for the FBI as an alternative to going to prison in exchange for information about what really happened on 11-2. Got you. Okay. I, at first I was kind of like, I don't know if I see this happening, but then when I read that, and if you read the interview, it's actually really great because it's so well written. You can hear it all in her voice. Yeah. It's an interview between her and a, an FBI agent and at the end of it, she basically makes a deal and says that, you know, she's willing to trade this information essentially for a job. Yeah, because that was kind of my biggest problems, especially with this episode when she first came in. I was like, it's Lori? Like, really? Like, like, really? She would just do that? She'd work for the government? I don't know, man. She wants to be just like her dad. <laughs> That's kind of how I thought about it is that, like, you only see a, a limited amount of her um, reaction to learning about her, her true father and how that would affect her mentally and psychologically. And I felt like given the right kind of circumstances that I could see her absolutely like swerving into that lane. Cause like, you know, uh, there is a lot of dark humor attached to her life. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I figured, you know, at a certain point I could see her absolutely going like, well, I might as well run with this joke then. And Well, at the end of the book, we even see her starting to embrace it a little bit when she talks mm-hmm. about wanting to kind of give up the Silk Spectre persona and do something a little tougher. And she talks about a mask and leather armor and mm-hmm. guns, mm-hmm. which is very much like <clears throat> the comedian. Her pop. Well, and I really kept thinking about how much she didn't want to be like her mom. She wanted to do something that was her own. And I could really see her trying to get away from that and falling kind of into her dad's path as a way to try and make up for that relationship she never got to have. Yeah. Now, Zach, I felt a lot like you. I wasn't buying it at first. But one thing I think they did brilliantly is we have no idea why Dan is in jail. Yeah, you know, they, they make a reference to that. Right. Yeah. So they kind of leave that vagary out there with some path that happened where he ends up in jail that just may open the door for her to, you know, enter this life. And I didn't read the Pedopedia, so I didn't have that. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. But I was kind of like, it might have been kind of brilliant to not explain Dan's story in order to leave that vague, some shit went down. Yeah. That might explain why she ended up there. Yeah. He's in jail because he's a vigilante and it's illegal. 
<laughs> yes, but what happened? <laughs> they stopped the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah. Where was that? It's yeah, in the Pedipedia. God damn it, yeah. Esther. Yeah, when I, was, when I was reading you know, through your, your outline, I saw that and I was like, oh, that, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, and I meant to mention this earlier, the first time you brought up Pedipedia, what pisses me off about that? <laughs> Wait a second. Okay, now I have a problem with this timeline because how did Timothy McVeigh want to blow up the Oklahoma City building if he wasn't in the Iraqi war? I don't know. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> the multiverse always tries to wait, correct itself. Wait, I thought that... Correct, so. correct me if I'm wrong. Like, the Oklahoma City... Well, it's it's actually really good that they mentioned that because I thought the Oklahoma City bombing was linked to awful, like, racists and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah, right? And he was, like, linked to the El Paso compound, I think. I'm oh, not kidding. I wish you all could see Zach. I'm just not like... kidding. I'm not kidding. <laughs> hey, looks like... I'm, you look like you're getting into conspiracy theories. Yeah, I know. You're just I'm like, like falling down like, the rabbit hole. I don't want to sound like I'm a fucking crazy person, but I know so much about crazy just, races. Just for reference, like, Zach is wearing a massive tinfoil hat right now. Yeah, I just crafted it and put it back on my fucking head. He just uh, rocks it, though, so no, he doesn't say anything. No, but he was linked back to those people, and they were like, mm, freedom and stuff, but they were like, yeah, but no like Jews or anybody of color. Not gonna happen. Not those and, people. And then... He bombed it because it was what? What was his reasoning? Because he hated the government. Yeah, because he hated the government. And it was a government building. Even though there was children inside. They did not get into too many details in the Pedipedia. (laughs) They do keep referring to Mr. McVeigh and stopping Mr. McVeigh. And Mr. McVeigh is dead. Was Timothy McVeigh following Rorschach's journal then? Possibly. I don't think they get into that. I think it's all just implied. That might be just a theory. That's my theory now. I'm answering my own question. (laughs) There is like a real journal that Timothy McVeigh had Mm -hmm. that is like the racist Bible or whatever. I can't remember the name of it. I'm not a racist. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I know. Zach doesn't know it either. About. No, I know what you're talking about. Um, okay, I apologize oh, for derailing. Yeah. No, that's okay. No, I'm gonna yeah, derail it further. I, so to further derail this, uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I I have. I don't know if it's a fun fact, but it's a true fact. Oh God. Uh, when I was living in uh, Western New York, I went to a high school that was kind of like a K through 12 place that yeah. he had went to. Oh, Mr. Timothy McVeigh. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that is a fun that fact. Is, that, it, Did so, they oh. have like a shrine to him, like bringing around for me and Drew? Yes, sure. They, they had Timothy McVeigh class. Day. Gave everybody a little, little, little bomb-shaped cake. Everybody know. signed everybody's yearbooks as Timothy McVeigh. Is that what you want to hear me say? Yeah. <laughs> I just needed more. Thank you. So my original point, though, <laughs> that I... My original point, actually... <laughs> before I was hijacked by Anne, was then, fuck the Pedipedia because they didn't do anything to promote it. You had to go digging for it. There should have been something in there, even if it was like a credit scene or something to reference that. It may have been in the credits. I'll uh, find out. Well, it wasn't fucking clear enough. Well, we never re- we never watched the credits because we always just... Which is exactly why they should have done something else. It's like eight minutes of credits. Who has time? Exactly. Yeah, really. I don't know. You, get, you sound like an old man. Stop it. Oh. Well, so it's very cool stuff Shots in there, fired. so they should have made it. Yes. Thank you for consuming this stuff, Esther, while the rest of us drop the ball. <laughs> yes. It's okay. Absolutely. We no, didn't know it exists because they did a terrible job with it. Yeah, I don't know. You hear that, Lindelof? You did a terrible fucking job with it. <laughs> Everything else you're brilliant at. You fucked up Pedipedia. 
Pedopedia is really good, though, and I recommend it, <laughs> even if it's difficult to find or, you know, not promoted well. But my original point <laughs> was that I think that I really like this future for Lori as far as, as the character goes. Not necessarily like I think it's a great place for her to be, but I think that her character and the way that Jean Smart plays the character and... She has shades of the nihilism of the comedian, but also a lot more humanity and shades of true kindness a few times that show through that facade of like, you know, none of this is important, you know, fuck everything kind of. Oh, I don't care that your civil rights are being violated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was a great was scene. So I really I love my it. favorite thing about that scene is. When the detectives introduce themselves to her and they're like, you know, Red Scare, Pirate Jenny, whatever. She walks up and says almost like a woman looking at kids' Halloween costumes just goes, cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most condescending one-word line. And it's so good. Well, it's so establishing, too. I mean, just coming in there and just setting that power down. Both of those lines, the, you know, cool, you know, you're, you're fucking dorks. And that same one with the guy, you know, are your rights being violated? Yeah, I'm just kidding. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, just taking everyone's power away. I think the real strength in this episode lies in the phone call that mm-hmm. lays kind of over the top of it. It kind of holds the entire episode together. And we get brief moments of this phone call between Lori and someone else that isn't revealed until the end where she's telling two jokes basically that become one joke but she's telling these jokes which aren't really important necessarily except that one of them deals directly with uh the characters of night owl dr manhattan and um ozymandias where she talks about them talking to god which i think is it's it's really good world building and at the same time kind of brings the events of the previous book back. And the really interesting thing about it to me is that if you look at her character in this world that's very similar to our world, it's easy to forget that she is the same character who literally was there and witnessed these things firsthand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even when she comes in on the plane with Dale Petey at the beginning and he asks her about <clears throat> Ozymandias... And she immediately gets defensive about it and uh, and kind of irritated with him. Um, it's easy to forget that she's the person who was there. She's she's walked on Mars. She saw the squid firsthand. She is she's been right there and seen all this stuff. I think that's a really good point too with her following in her dad's footsteps that she did go through like that huge trauma of seeing like thousands of dead people that had been killed by this person who she had worked with before and just that huge event that shook the entire world she was there so then she has to now put her life back together and figure out who she wants to be yeah we also see why her career as the comedian didn't last because that joke was horrible (laughs) excuse me (laughs) my episodes end i was in stitches i was i was laughing the same way yeah but you're a nerd (laughs) i like too that this episode shows us that she is i don't know how to put that into words obviously she has not been together with john for what 35 years or something but still very much attached to him in some way. Still very much. That's one way to put it. That's Always not... carries around a piece of him in her luggage. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I flipped out when I saw that. Like, what Reminder, is the point? I was watching this with my fucking mother. 
Did she have to explain it to you? <laughs> no, I didn't explain it to her, Bob. That's the oh, scene that's where they actually play Space Junk, right? The song, like when they show the the no. Doctor Manhattan. Videos. No, that's earlier in no, the episode. Earlier? Okay, yeah, because I, oh, I Space Junk, I get it. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I was like, I hear the the intro of that song, I'm like, yeah, all right, they are playing it. Hell yeah! Oh, she's one playing Devo. Devo that's, songs. that's yeah, it's one yeah. of my favorite Devo songs. One and she does mention obviously Laurie is a Devo mm-hmm. fan in the original book, which yeah. is a nice tie-in. And Space Junk could mean many different things in this episode for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, hmm. <laughs> yes, the Dr. Manhattan dildo, which actually is also discussed in Pedipedia. Um, as Excuse me? <laughs> it really is. In Pedipedia, it is discussed as being a prototype model that was designed by Dan Dryberg and given to Lori at the end of their relationship as basically a fuck you because she could never get over John. That is fucked up. Wait, so they're not Dan like... actually grew some balls? <laughs> I, I, and now he's in prison and she's an FBI agent. Maybe she put him there. I kind of love... Oh. I thought they were like still kind of like together. I think... Based off her reaction to that offer from... I know, uh, but no, it, they, they have split up according to the Pedipedia and... Damn you, Pedipedia. And he, well. gave her, he gave her the... Uh, it's called Excalibur. I kind of love just that idea of him like slaving away like, oh, fuck you, you can't get over my old boyfriend, I'll make you a big blue penis about it, fuck. If you guys could all see his motions as he's building this thing in his lap. He had a wrench. Oh, hammer. Looks like an elf building Santa's Christmas shop. I think he was having an aneurysm at the same time, too. Normally I am, Yeah. I was going to say, Andrew, now, just because they're broken up doesn't mean she doesn't still carry a torch for Dan. You know, I think she never lets go of John, but for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with the size of that dildo. Um, <laughs> but that's... Speak you know, for just, yourself, Bob. Uh, okay, not entirely because of the size of that dildo. But, you know, just because she couldn't let go of John and Dan couldn't handle that and broke it off doesn't mean she doesn't still carry a torch for Dan either. So That's, that's fair. I do think she loves Dan in in her own way or in some way, but they're just not together um, for whatever reason. She's just not that into him. Well, he was kind of a rebound relationship Mm -hmm. for her. So, you know, sometimes those are doomed to fail. And I mean, did he really measure up? I was going to say, was he like making some weird commentary on his own impotence with that giant fucking dildo? (laughs) So does it explicitly like say that they were broken up or did he like bring it into the bedroom and was like, I can never satisfy you? It is within the interview between Lori and the FBI agent because they go through her luggage and she explains what it is. She just brings that with her. Like, why don't you just keep that somewhere, dude? Like, what you, like have you, it shipped to wherever you're going? Your like, FedEx what? box waiting at the you hotel for you? You never know when you need it, Zach. Like, like, why doesn't she just, like, keep that in a fucking lockbox in a fucking bank? Like, the KKK wardrobe thing? But, like, instead, she, a giant blue penis. Like, she clearly she, uses it. She's That's so skeleton. fucked up. That's so fucked up. How did you not draw that conclusion? It's like, I no, I did, but I just, it's so mind-blowing to me. It's like having a cast of your dead partner's ding-dong made, and then you're like, do you not get her yeah. sense of humor at this point? I do, but do it's just Do you not know who so, her dad is? Do you not- <laughs> I also love that she pulls that out and looks at it, and the next thing you know, she's knocking on Petey's door, and then they wake up in bed together, and she's just got this look of, I should have stayed with the blue thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, she, and he's wearing, he's wearing a, a mask. mask. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Petey. <laughs> Wait, who? Who? We don't know who that is. Petey fucks. 
<laughs> which I think was a, was you know a, a great moment for him too because he obviously had a an interest in the Minutemen and the um, Crime Busters and all those people. He was um, one of the things in the Pedipedia is him just railing against American Hero Story and how inaccurate it is to the the truth and what really happened and how it's just all sensationalized. So I'm not a fan. Exactly. <laughs> what did he say? I have a doctorate in history. So, yeah, it's, I think it was obviously very thrilling for him also. Well, um, obviously, history. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word, snag a piece of history. Not Whoa. Me. Not me. What's up? What's up? Uh, so at the end of the episode, we find out that the phone booth that Lori is talking in is a Manhattan booth, which is a blue phone booth that supposedly transmits your message directly to Mars for Dr. Manhattan to listen to. And she ends the call with goodnight, John. And it is absolutely heartbreaking the way she says it. And um, I don't know. It's just a great performance all around from mm-hmm. her. I like her in the whole series, but in this episode in particular, I I think she's fantastic. But not only that, again, that was brilliant storytelling and world building between the joke, bringing back the history the way she tells the joke, showing her own emotional response to each of those people and, and what she went through with them. And then also the fact that she is a, what they call a platinum member. So she does this very often. Yep. And so there's that that addiction and that need, uh, almost a therapeutic uh, cause for her to go there. It just tells so much with what's such basically kind of a silly little synopsis. And it's just so impactful and, and so much depth in that. So you agree the joke is silly. The yes, joke I said it was. Is, I said it was terrible. No, the joke is awesome. Because then the fucking proverbial rock falls right in front of her face <laughs> like the end of the joke. And then she just starts laughing, Bob. It's brilliant. It is fucking hilarious. It is really good. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. You know what? I'll give you that. Lindelof's joke was great. Her joke <laughs> Yeah, but you needed terrible. that joke as part of the setup. Yeah, it wouldn't have been funny if the car just falls from the fucking sky. I do. I, you know, it's really funny. I never made that connection. That it, it, it didn't. It didn't happen to me. I was just like, "Oh shit!" There's the car. What do you know? Well, I think stuff falling from the sky at important moments is important later in the series, also. Hmm. So I think yeah. uh, that does come back. So it's a, it's an interesting like mini theme that we get yeah. because of the joke. Plus, there's like that thought maybe in the back of your head that, um, or maybe this was only my thought. I don't know if anyone else thought this. Um, I thought maybe that scene could have indicated that maybe Dr. Manhattan was listening that's, and used mm-hmm. that moment to like indicate that he was. By, that's what I thought the first time I yeah. saw it, too. And, well, I, and I think that's what Laurie was supposed to think as well. Yeah, and I that's what so. made it extra funny for me, too. It was just, again, like she's like, like, you ever had a sense of humor? And then potentially here's this display of that. And yeah. it's like. Then it's like, dude, I actually ever know. Like, it's like there's so many elements and layers that make it fucking hilarious. Yeah, Bob. no, I think it's great, and I, I love it. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I have to cover the Lord of the Manor too because this is the very important Lord of the Manor stuff. He, God, are we finally there? Yes, yet? we're there. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, he builds a protective suit, um, out of a suit of armor and some uh, leather that may or may not have come from previous Mister Phillips. Oh, I don't like thinking about that. I don't. No, he hunted stuff. There's animals. Not no, 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 yet. he did not. Not yet he has He wasn't allowed to. Oh. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. Well, that's true, mm-hmm. but this but is before the, the bison. When I they don't know pull, why I'm more upset. He says... He, <laughs> I don't know why. Go ahead. When they pull Mr. Phillips yep. out of the box, whatever it's called, I can't think of the actual name, he says, oh, we'll find a use for him. So I think yeah. that it might... The, the first suit, I think, might be made out of 
people leather, I think. Oh, he's a fucking Hannibal Lecter ass <laughs> motherfucker. Oh, hey. now we've crossed the line where this is a fucking <laughs> they're just insane, crazy person. Yes, <laughs> he's fucking squid the tad <laughs> the tadpole people are just resources for him you know yeah it's so like cold it, it I, is I, and i love it because it's like taking an already awful character who sees the world so black and white in his own way How would by you the way it's ozymandias everybody uh, and like it, <laughs> who could have guessed it's like i'm sorry <laughs> but it, it's like he a character already so like black and white and then just making it just to the utmost extreme where it's like, yeah, I'm going to make people leather. Like, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear this person's skin like a fucking Buffalo Bill. Like, well, well, he does make a very sweet, uh, like, steampunk kind of uh, space suit kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like some... That uh, totally makes up for Jules, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Later, the, the second... Jules the Verne. Burner, thank you. I the second remember. version of it is better, but the version we have here, you know, he puts it on, on one of the servants and throws him with a trebuchet out into whatever again so more weird shit yeah <laughs> it's so it's so goofy like, and then he comes back frozen solid and i love that whole shit and fuck and motherfucking shit when he just stomps <laughs> on him over and over and over again such a great moment and then he gets a letter from the game warden and i love the his face as miss kirkshanks reads it to him he just is enjoying it and laughing about it. And then, of course, we find out what you just said that, you know, what we all suspected watching this is that we're dealing with all of us. Damn it. With the uh, (laughs) the older Ozymandias, a.k.a. Adrian Veidt, which I was I mean, I knew it was him, but I was thrilled because not that he was ever my favorite character in the book. I'm Mm -hmm. not like a huge Ozymandias fan, obviously. I'm more of a Dr. Manhattan fan. But something about Jeremy Irons performance just fucking nails it and mm-hmm. he's yeah. so good i think i mean like i've been kind of saying like i I had my moments of different times where I'm like oh for sure this is ozymandias but uh like the second or third time when i had that thought when he's riding his horse what's the horse's name again bucephalus and yeah first of all that name I'm like oh this mm-hmm. is definitely ozymandias and then like within the same five seconds he picks a fucking tomato from a tree <laughs> i'm like who would think of making these kind of weird things oh yeah ozymandias there's so many he's little... got purple and gold mm-hmm. everywhere he's very refined what did you say um damon lindelof said about him that he they he, didn't he name said, him but he th- said he is who you think he is yeah they, they just didn't bother to like yeah do it but until this point but they're just like it's funny though sure. cause i was on the reddit community as the show was airing for the first time so i would read oh, okay. the discussions after every episode which actually man people are really savvy they get stuff and they can see things I don't think I'm going to watch another show and read along ever again. Did you feel that way when I talked about my theory of... Yeah, because... Okay. we won't get into that right now, really. No, but I mean, I, I, I feel like things were spoiled for me just by people's theories, because then mm. I could look. Although some of the theories were really out there, and one of them was that uh, Jeremy Irons was Dr. Manhattan, which, if you think about it for one second, makes zero sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I- know... Yeah, when you were, like, <clears throat> discussing your theories on the show, I was mm-hmm. like, mm, good, good, good for Andrew. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, because you were, like, my ro- my, on. My roommate says I have a Batman brain. <laughs> Which, yeah. Is that a compliment, yes. right? Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. intending it as a okay, compliment. Okay, good. That I, can, that I can be, like, master detective, at least with, like, narratives of... You know, okay. movies or books or whatever. Yeah, I can, Batman yeah Alan says I have Batman brain. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm okay. so smart, apparently. I give this episode an A 
my first A of the series was this episode. That's just my opinion. Is but... this the episode with the bank robbery? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is this also the episode with um, Judd's body going kaplooey? Yes. Oh wow! Okay. It is. This is a funeral. Yeah, the funeral happened in this with the, yeah. the terrorists. Yeah, this is such a like. Oh, sorry, I didn't talk about that. Made. I should have. Well, it, it was, was all care. It's it's a very character heavy episode, so it yes. makes sense to kind of focus on that rather mm-hmm. than the plot aspects. Of yeah. It. So yeah. I don't blame us for forgetting that. Yeah. But yes, it is the funeral episode. So this is an A episode for me. It's just it was an episode that I just thought was fantastic, mm-hmm. and like I said, I've watched this episode more times than I've watched the other episodes in the series because I just, I could watch it over and over because Jean Smart is just awesome. Yeah. And I love her. 100%. But yeah, that's, uh, I think that's all I have for, I mean, Pedipedia is really not worth discussing for this one. There's some interesting stuff. Does he have like a blog post about him fucking banging (laughs) Silk Spectre? Uh, no. There's more complaining from Agent Petey about, um, American hero story. But no, he never talks about that. He is a gentleman. He doesn't. But no, we're going to take a break. We well, could do it anonymously. And we will be back and talk about more HBO Watchmen series. Goodbye.